continue on this morning with uh, the last part of prevent, suffer, and recover that I've preached on the last few times that I've preached here. Um, we talked the first time about preventing the consequences of sin, and then the second time we talked about uh, suffering <laughs> the consequences of sin, and then today I would like to talk about recovering from the consequences of sin. Sometimes we, when we're suffering the consequences of sin, we can do that so long and we can become so blinded to our situation and the causes of it that we just kind of call it life. We don't really realize that it is not what the Lord wants for his people. Uh, and so I hope that we are not in the point in our lives where uh, suffering has become normal to us and we don't really know any other way. Uh, I read one time where uh, a preacher was talking about inmates that become institutionalized. And he was saying that, you know, if somebody commits a crime, they go into prison for a year or two, three or four or five years, and they get out, and they're, uh, they're not so far removed from society that they can't jump back in there and, uh, and you know, and uh, adapt back into the real world. <clears throat> but there are others that maybe have been uh, in prison for 50, 60 years and they've known that life of being institutionalized so long that that's really what they prefer. As opposed to going back out and having to face a world that has changed, that they don't understand, that they're way behind uh, on how things go. And so they, the, the, what really was intended as a punishment and to, and to uh, really bring suffering to them is, is just normal. And that's really what they prefer. And we see a lot of times that God's people are the same way. Uh, they just are so accustomed to sinning and suffering the consequences that they just don't really know any different. <clears throat> but I hope that is not the case for us. And today, I want to talk about recovering from the consequences of sin. All of us, at some point in our lives, have suffered because of the sinful decisions that we've made. Some more than others, meaning, uh, you know, maybe some in frequency, but sometimes the magnitude of what we suffer is greater than others. You know, obviously a guy that, uh, you know, goes out and he, he tells a, maybe tells a little white lie to somebody and he gets caught in that and it causes him a little bit of trouble and then everybody's reconciled and there's forgiveness. You know, the consequences of that is not near as great as murder where you're, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're arrested and, and put in jail. But we've all suffered the consequences of sin. And so today, if, if the Lord will help me, I hope to get through this today and not break it up into two. I want to talk about recovering from the consequences of sin. And I want to look at three individuals in the Bible. I want to look at Peter. I want to look at Jonah. And I want to look at Samson very briefly, each one of those. And most of y'all are very familiar with the accounts of those three men, Peter, uh, Jonah, and Samson. And what you will find is that at one point in their lives, all three of these men most likely thought, I am finished in the kingdom of God. That there is no more for me beyond this point. I have messed up so bad that there is no way I will ever do another thing that will be profitable in the, in the kingdom of God. And when you read their accounts, I get why they would feel that way. I understand why they would feel that way. If you think about Peter, Peter was a very faithful, faithful apostle of Christ. He was, you know, he, Peter had his problems and uh, he was a little bit hot tempered at times, but his zeal for the Lord was unmatched. He was the one that would come to him 
And while maybe everybody else kind of stood in the background and he's the one that said, they will never take you unless they take me first. If you know the old saying, if you want, if you want the Lord, you got to come through me. And he lived up to that to some extent when he, when he uh, pulled out his sword and cut off the high priest servant Malchus's ear. He was like, no, you can't have him unless you come through me. He tells the Lord, I'll die following you. Very, very zealous. When? Up until the night that the Lord is arrested and he is taken into these, these uh, courtrooms that are just a mockery of the, of the legal system. Uh, Christ has been beaten and he's, he's taken and Peter sneaks in. He sneaks in uh, and he is kind of watching from a distance. And we know from what the Bible tells us that he can see the Lord and the Lord can see him. So wherever the Lord is here in the, you know, the high priest palace and wherever um, uh, Peter is, they can, he can watch what's going on. And three different times in all of this, these events that night, three different times, um, even though Peter told the Lord specifically, I will never deny you, uh, three different times that night in a very short span, he denies having anything to do with the Lord. I have no part with this man. I don't know this man. He's just, I'm just here to watch the show. Now, the Lord's told him that this is going to happen. And obviously, Peter says, no way, this is not going to happen. But we read about in Luke, the 22nd chapter, in verse 60, it says, For the third time, Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. What, an, what a sorrowful picture. And, you know, I think about, um, I would hate to think the last words to my wife were something in anger or, you know, frustration. You know, it, I would, it, it would be some comfort to me if something were to tragically happen, happen to Tiffany to know my last exchange with her were words of love and encouragement and things like that. Well, this is the, you know, Peter doesn't get to talk to the Lord on this side of his crucifixion anymore. This is it. And Peter denies him and it says the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. You're talking about a, a look that can burn a hole through you. And in that one instant when their eyes met, the heart of Peter was just overcome with sorrow. And he runs out of there and he didn't just shed a tear or two. He wept bitterly. Why? Because he, he is under the conviction of the sin of denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a sin? Yeah, that's a sin. Amen. And he's suffering for it. Now, the disciples, you know, you wonder, and I don't mean this to be funny, but you wonder sometimes, how, how sharp were these disciples? Because he told them a thousand different times, in three days I'm going to rise again. But what do you find after he's crucified that on the third day, it's like they've never heard that. It's like they're clueless. And so Peter probably is thinking, I cannot believe that I walked with the Lord all this time and I told him all the things I told him and I denied him three times and he knows that I denied him. He looked at me and I'll never have another chance to embrace him and love him and tell him I'm sorry. 
I'm finished in the kingdom of God. The last thing that Christ my Savior heard come off of my lips was, I do not know him. The Bible tells us in other places, <clears throat> he was so angry about it that he was cursing about it. <clears throat> now, let me give you this verse right here, 2 Corinthians. Here's the key to recovering from the consequences of sin. 2 Corinthians verse 7, I mean chapter 7, verse 10. And listen to this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. That's not salvation from hell. That's salvation from things in this life. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Look, we're not talking about being sorry for getting caught. There's a difference. We're talking about godly sorrow. And if you've ever talked to somebody who truly had godly sorrow, there is a difference and it is easy to identify. Somebody that's just sorry that I got caught and somebody that has true godly sorrow over what they've done, they are easy to distinguish. Godly sorrow is what worketh repentance. And notice verse 11. It says, For behold... This self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness. Now that word carefulness there means haste or speed or diligence. So what diligence it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. What a clearing of your mind. What indignation towards the things that you have done against the Lord. What fear of God it brought in you. What vehement desire to continue to do godly things and walk in obedience. What zeal, what revenge against the powers of darkness that consumed you and brought you to this lowly state. That's a powerful verse. Godly sorrow brings that to us. So here you have Peter. Probably thinking, I am through in the kingdom of God. I am going to suffer for my sins and carry this heartache for the rest of my life. I am no good anymore. <clears throat> but do you remember over in Acts, <clears throat> the first and second chapter? <clears throat> it talks about that the apostles are gathered together in a house. And the Holy Spirit comes on them. And the Bible says it was uh, as cloven tongues as of fire that came upon these apostles. And they began to speak in ways they had never spoke before. And there must have been some people crowded around and they begin to see what was going on. And they go out and tell other people. And all of a sudden, all these people from the city come uh, to gather and congregate where these apostles are. That's called Pentecost. That's what we read about in Acts, the first and second chapter in Pentecost. And what does it say in Acts, the second chapter, as the crowds gather? What is the conclusion by a good many people in that crowd when they see this? Because, see, these are people that are coming from all over and they're different nationalities and they speak different languages. But the Bible says that everybody heard them speak in their own tongue. So it would be like me standing up here preaching right now and somebody comes in that does not even speak English, but maybe speaks some, maybe they speak Japanese. And when I talk, somehow the Lord takes that and translates that where they can understand it as if I were speaking perfect Japanese. <clears throat> but what do the people say? 
Yeah, it's early and they're drunk. That's what they say. It's early and they're drunk. But now, others mocked and said, these men are full of new wine. And I like verse 14. It says, but Peter. But Peter standing up. A man that thought he was done. And that he would suffer the consequences of those sins for the rest of his life for denying Christ. Peter's the one that stands up. And Peter begins to preach to them one of the most fantastic sermons ever. And it says this, when he's done preaching, then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now that's not souls to heaven, that's souls to the body of Christ on this earth, into the church. Do you think Peter recovered? I do. Do you think the Lord in his mercy was able to bring Peter to a place where he could lay down the guilt for what he had done? There were 120 people at the beginning of Acts. And Peter, after he stands up and preaches, 3,120 are there. Peter probably thought, I'm finished. But Peter did his greater work, greatest works after he had suffered the consequences of those sins. Now, what about Jonah? <clears throat> Flip to the book of Jonah for just a second. In the book of Jonah, it starts this way. It says, the Lord of the Lord came to Jonah and it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, which is a wicked city. This is not a city of a lot of good people. It was a Gentile city and they did not like things of the Lord. And it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. He f- went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof. That'd be a good sermon one day. How much does it cost you to go to Tarshish? It cost a bunch. And so he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He gets on the ship and the Lord brings a great storm. And as the people on the ship, they try to figure out why has all this uh, befallen us. And finally, it comes down to Jonah saying, listen, I'm supposed to be in Nineveh. My Lord has commanded me to go there. I'm supposed to preach to them and I'm going in the opposite direction. And so they take Jonah. Uh, finally it takes some convincing but they take Jonah and they throw him over the side of the boat now that that was a death sentence okay they're not it it did not happen this way it didn't say look just you throw me off and I'll swim back to shore there's no swimming back to shore here they are throwing Jonah off to his death and you never think about the whale being an act of mercy but it really was The whale was an act of mercy because without it, Jonah dies. Jonah drowns in the ocean. But it says that the Lord had prepared the whale to swallow Jonah. Now, picture that. Look, Jonah doesn't have all the information we have. All right, so if you're Jonah and you're trying to figure all this out, you're saying, oh my goodness. 
I have run from the Lord. The Lord has, is not happy with me. He's brought a, a tempestuous sea and they have thrown me overboard and I'm fixing to drown. This is awful. And it gets worse in Jonah's eyes. And all of a sudden this giant whale comes up and swallows Jonah and he goes down into the belly of the whale. Do you think there is anything, be honest with yourselves, is there one shred of, of a thought in Jonah's mind that this is not the end? I mean, if you were swallowed up in a whale's belly at the bottom of the ocean, you think this is it. I'm done. It's over. I am through. I wish I would have just gone to Nineveh. But it's all is lost. And I will never, ever, ever do anything good for the kingdom of God anymore. What is Jonah doing right now? He's suffering. He is suffering for his sins and he is probably convinced there's no hope for me. <clears throat> but do you remember what, <clears throat> what I said about godly sorrow? Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. That's a good thing to do. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Sounds like godly sorrow. And he heard me and out of the belly of hell cried I and thou heardest my voice for thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas the floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy waves passed over me then I said I am cast out of thy sight that's godly sorrow yet I will look again toward thy holy temple the waters compassed me about even to the soul the depth closed me round about the weeds were wrapped around my head about my head I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yes, hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee and to thine holy temple. Listen to verse 8 here. This is a fantastic verse. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Who is the father of lies? Who does the Bible tell us is the father of lies? Satan. Do you think Satan will lie to you? Yes. Do you think if you follow him, you just skip along the rest of your lives in joy and happiness? No. The Bible says if you observe lying vanities, you are forsaking your own mercy. Why is Jonah in the belly of the well? Why was Peter out weeping bitterly? Because they believed a lie from Satan. That you can run from the Lord, you can deny the Lord, and all will be well. But they forsook their own mercy. And he finds himself in a terrible place. But he goes on and says this, I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. This is not somebody that is sorry they got caught. This is godly sorrow. And in the way only the Lord can do, he makes this whale sick at his stomach. And that whale, not only, he doesn't cast Jonah back out into the midst of the sea just to drown. The Bible says he cast him out onto dry land. And then what? He went and preached one of the greatest revivals that we have recorded in history. When Jonah was in the belly of that well suffering the consequences of sin, do you ever thought the Lord would ever use him to do anything else? No, he didn't. 
But the Lord used Jonah more on after the experience with a well than he did before. Now, let me give you one more here. Let's go to Judges, the 16th chapter. And I want to look back at Samson that we talked a little bit about last week. Samson, the angel told Samson's mother, if I can ever get there. The angel told Samson's mother, who was barren, that the son that she was going to bring forth would begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. His job was not to completely wipe out the Philistines. His not, job was not to completely deliver Israel from the Philistines. His job was to begin to deliver them. And you see the life of Samson and how that plays out. And he went, as I said last week, from basically a living superhero doing things with his strength that no man has ever done since. Like you, you ever watch the, uh, the, the strongman competition? Uh, where these guys that are just, they're like twice as wide as this pulpit and they're muscling, they're picking up all these things. A, that's nothing to Samson. Right. Samson would have rolled him in and like, please, now step aside. Let me show you. He was incredible. And he was a judge of Israel, anointed by God, separated from the womb to be a Nazarite unto God. But he was careless and reckless with the blessings of God. And eventually, he uh, tells Delilah the secret uh, to his strength and she shaves off his head they take Samson they bind him and as I said last week they bore his eyes out <clears throat> and they put him in the prison house to grind now you're Samson okay think about it is there anything in you that thinks you will ever be much of an instrument to God anymore because you have committed these sins against him and you've suffered for him, suffered for them. Peter thought he was done, right? Peter said, I'm done. But yet he didn't know that Peter, there's coming a time you're going to preach and 3,000 are going to be added to the church. Jonah lies in the belly of the well and as he said with seaweed wrapped around his head thinking this is going to be my tomb and I am done. But the Lord says, you don't realize, even though you're suffering right now for what you've done, you're going to preach one of the greatest revivals in history. And Samson, grinding in the prison mill, do you think there was anything in his mind that said, hey, I'm going to start my comeback soon. I'm on the comeback trail. He's thinking, I can't see. And I'm weak. And there comes a time when it says in Judges 16, the lords of the Philistines gather them together for, for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. There's a party and they're going to uh, sacrifice things to this false god Dagon because they, they said our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. Now, if you read this and you kind of look at it, Samson is in the prison house. But he is not very far removed from where this party is going on. They can see him. And he can hear them. And what do you think he thought when they heard, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And the whole time he's probably thinking, Your God is not even real. But I've forsaken my God. 
I was careless with the blessings of God. I sinned against my God, and that's why I'm here suffering, and this will be my end. And when the people saw him, that's why they could, they could see him. They praised their God, for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, they, they call him up and say, you know, bring him closer, bring him closer. It says, we want to make sport of him. That means they wanted to laugh at him. And they call for Samson that he may make a sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house. And he made sport of them and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth that I may lean upon them. Here is a... He's, this is no longer the long-haired Samson. This is the blind Samson. Short hair. And he's standing and he tells this little man, they brought a lad. You ever thought about that? They didn't bring a bunch of soldiers to take Samson. Even though he had ripped those chains time and time and time again, they just let a boy bring him out. That ought to tell you a lot. They let a lad bring him out. Samson says, hey, let me lean, just let me lean against the pillars. <clears throat> now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. That's godly sorrow. Do you see it? What does Samson say? Samson saying the exact same thing Jonah says. I've been cast out of your sight. But Lord, I am looking back to your temple. Have mercy on me. And he said, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once. One time, um, several years ago, and I don't know why, I probably should have gone to the doctor to check it out, but I didn't. I woke up one morning. I mean, it felt, it was just incredibly weak. Just in one hand. And I remember going to the gas station and my hand was so weak that when I went to pull the gas, I, I had to use two hands to pull the gas lever up. For some reason, the strength in my hand was gone. I don't know if I slept on it, but I don't know what it was. Probably should have gone to the doctor. I think I know a little bit about how Samson felt. Because when I would grip things, this is not my normal grip. I, I know what, what the strength of my hand would feel like. What do you think Samson felt like when he was pushing in the prison mill, grinding that? You know, I'm weak. And I remember when the strength came back. It's a great feeling. Samson puts his hands upon those pillars and it just doesn't feel right. I'm just not what I used to be. I've sinned against the Lord and this is my last time, but I'm going to cry out in godly sorrow to the Lord. He says, remember me just this once. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, one on with his right hand and one with his left hand. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed him. He bowed himself with all his might. And those feeble, weak hands that he'd been feeling for quite some time now regained their strength because the Bible says the hair of his head 
began to grow. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with his might and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were there so that the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Samson's job, his calling, was to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. When he was grinded in that prison mill, do you think he ever thought he would carry that out? I, I would venture to say he thought he was done. But God used Samson more after he had suffered the consequences of his sins than he did before. Think about Peter and Jonah and Samson. Three men that probably were convinced they were done in the kingdom of God. And they were suffering for their sins. Yet God's mercy is so great, He did more with them after the fact than He did before. What is the conclusion of the matter? Are you suffering from the consequences of your sins? Bad decisions that you've made, whatever? Do not think God is so small that He can't use you in a mighty way. Maybe even more so than He has before. But the key is godly sorrow. Sorrow that you got caught will get you nowhere. Godly sorrow has a way of lifting men out of bellies of whales and out of the hands of the Philistines and from tremendous guilt for denying the Lord. I hope that that has been profitable. And please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.